Okay. You guys are so much fun to be with. I love having fun in the church and laughing. It's good for you, right? My husband took me out last night on a date and got me a Mother's Day gift, two gallons of paint, a new roller, and a paint. A big spread, a place to, uh, I know this is what I wanted. I picked it out myself at home. We did a date at Home Depot, and it was so much fun. And he cooked me dinner, too. He did cook me a, uh, my favorite food dinner. But we, um, we are so blessed. And um, I know that on Mother's Day, not everyone feels um, like they are in a position or a place of blessing because of life circumstances. And so I get that because there, there was times for all of us, there's been times where we haven't felt that. And yet, in the presence of God, we can feel the blessing of the Lord. You can sense his presence during worship. I appreciate the team just bringing us into that place where we know that no matter what our current situation, we can receive from him. Amen. He's got something good ahead for us. And he hasn't forgotten us. Just like Hannah in the Bible, he's the God that sees. He saw her plight and her situation. He sees you. And I love that. I was going to start off with a funny story, but uh, maybe I'll just kind of quickly get right there because we're going to run out of time. But I, I do want to mention that um, a lot of times as uh, our family grows, we try to get together on Sundays if we can and do food. And a couple years back, though, we just... We, I think it was our last attempt at a vacation together. We, we, got, we said, if everybody gets over to Hawaii, we'll get a place for one to stay. And, you know, at that time we had seven. Now we have 11. Wait, seven kids we took to Hawaii, right? Wait, did we have that many since then? More? Do the math. Hurry up. But you know what? We took a bunch of kids. We got there, and everybody arrived different, you know, scheduled different flights. They all got there, and then... It was pure chaos. We, we, had a, we had a great idea of gathering everybody and, like, getting in, getting, why? Because Hawaii is a great place to be. And when, when you get there and you realize you've got, like, all these kids, we pile them out to the beach that can't swim, that have never swum in the ocean but love water. And you got all these kids that have really have, if you look at them, they really don't rock a tan except for wit. And they uh, get really sunburnt quickly. And we didn't bring the sunscreen with us. And one had a flu and a fever and was up three nights barfing and taking turns of us holding him. And, you know, none of that really was what we planned. But it was a vacation. It was a together time. And that I am so grateful for all those together. We have yet to, we'll probably never do that again. But it was really great. My favorite moment in that, too, was um, sushi. sushi is one of our grandkids like sushi, which is really one of my favorite foods. Bob doesn't like it, but if it doesn't look like a steak and taste like a steak, it's not a steak. It's not food. So for him, he puts, it up, puts up with it. We all end up, 17 of us, at a little tiny which turned out to be a hole-in-the-wall sushi place, and somehow they found chairs for all of us to sit, and that was chaotic, too, because, you know, you just never know what could happen. We just had great memory, and we still build great memories. And I think um, what I want to talk to you today is about legacy. And the definition of legacy, and I, I prayed about this sermon 
uh, I waited and waited and waited and waited on the Lord. And when you really wait a long time, you get so nervous, like, God, is there a word I'm supposed to preach on? And finally, I got the word. It was legacy. <laughs> and I, I'm good with that. But the definition I have up here, one definition, is something handed down from one generation to the next. And I, in Latin, it's an interesting word. It, it, it comes out to be sent as an ambassador. And if you understand what an ambassador does, they go to maybe another country or they go as a representative to share and to help manage a situation or to present information. So an ambassador is a, is a goer that presents, presents what they have and communicates it. And I feel like that really touches what I want to touch today in the definition of legacy. It's, it's the commission we have, moms and dads, but um, women specifically, I'm, I'm kind of hitting on that today, but have a wonderful responsibility to take what we know about the Lord and transmit it, transfer it, present it, communicate it to another generation. And I want to um, read Psalm 145 with you, if you want to turn to that. Psalm 145, 4 through 7. And, you know, as I was getting ready for this, it was really stirred up because, as my husband said, we just um, celebrated the life of a father in the faith to us, and really his wife as well, Edie and Dick Iverson, both took us under their wing and parented us in spiritual things, in life lessons, in how to raise kids, in how to get along as a couple in the middle of our differences and our opposites, and how to be better as, as husband and wife, as mom and dads. They, they gave us that legacy, and that, that really stirred me to really talk about this. So I'm 145, 4 through 7, if you take a look at that with me. Um, I'm actually going to read it off here because I brought up the wrong glasses. These are cool because they match, but they don't have enough magnification for my Bible font. Okay, Psalm 145, 4 through 7. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. And the next one, they tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. You know, when our kids were little, we would sing scripture choruses because they were kind of the thing. Um, honey, can you look? Yeah, those are the ones, the blue. Thanks. Uh, we'd look up, we'd read, we'd sing in the car scripture choruses. If you remember those days where the Bible was sung like word for word, Sometimes in Old King James, but, you know, the kid, kids didn't know the difference. They just knew we were singing, and we sang about God's goodness. We sang about the joy of the Lord is our strength. We sang all these songs that came from the Bible, and I think that's part of how we celebrate and tell. I, I want to keep doing that. I actually was with my two little granddaughters in the park last week, and I started singing made-up songs about God and his goodness and also we mixed in, um, Rapunzel was mixed in there too because they're girls and they want to, they're always like, tell us about, what about Rapunzel? You know, back to Jesus. Okay. But we sing, we sing about good things. We sing about the goodness of the Lord and we tell it and we rehearse it and we remind. Um, all of that 
is the practicing of legacy. Uh, I've talked before about inheritance. I don't know if you remember that when I talked about my inheritance. And that's a real tangible thing. But this is a legacy to me is more than the, um, the stuff. It's, it's the intangible. It's the thing that you know in your knower that you want to pass on. And, you know, sometimes we get super busy and we forget that we are doing that. We are passing on in our speech, in our attitudes, in our thoughts, our open, you know, conversations. It's what we are passing on. And um, if it's, first of all, the how. How do we do it? How do we do the pass on, the, the, the telling? And I think it has to be done correctly. I looked at 2 Timothy 4, 6-7, and I, I was inspired because I thought, you know, um, Paul could have talked a lot about all the things as he was talking to Timothy, writing. We were having an argument whether, whether this was a true prison epistle, but it was a letter written to Timothy, his son in the faith, and Paul was giving instructions to Timothy and in the second, um, second epistle of Timothy, chapter 4, he Paul could have talked about the churches he'd been to, the sermons he preached, all the things that he planted, the churches that he planted. Um, I mean, he had a lot that he had accomplished, things that he'd written about. If he wanted to talk about his legacy, he could have talked about that. But he talked instead about things to correct, obviously. There was a lot of that. But he used three um, statements in Chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He said three things. Three F words. <laughs> I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I've kept the faith. Three things. And I, I love that Paul brought that home and brought that into that, into that letter to Timothy because I, I was impacted that our legacy requires something of us. It's not an accidental. I mean, you can, you can actually buy, which my aunt did, buy a bunch of stock and sit it in an account and do nothing, and it's going to make some money, maybe, maybe not. But in our, in our situation, it, it, it accumulated, and there was nothing done about that except the giving. But with legacy, you need to take some actions. And the first one is you need to fight a good fight. you got to recognize that you're in a warfare an enemy that wants to keep you, he wants to stop you from promoting the news, the good news of Jesus and what it is to follow him and to live for him. He wants to, he wants to stop you on every side. And so you're in a war and you need to push back. And Paul was talking about that, fighting a good fight. And in that fight, you stand, you clothe yourself with scripture, you get yourself armored up. And you become a warrior to make that legacy effective. You have to press through. I think sometimes we get a little casual about our spiritual things. We get really caught up and we're all busy. I'm get, I get distracted. But when we're careful, when we plan, when we purpose, when we don't get callous or embittered or lazy, <laughs> when we take stock of what we have to pass on and we get mindful, then... I don't, I don't think we're, we're, we're not exempt, certainly, from the attacks of the enemy, but we are a victor. We become stronger in our faith. 
and we can pass on something through the choice of working at it and making a presence to the enemy, saying, no, no more. My legacy is sure because I'm, I'm, I'm actively taking a stand with Christ's help to do this. We just had a couple of ladies share out Women Mentoring Women. If you don't know what that is, we're actually meeting this Thursday. It's coming up. It's this Thursday morning and evening. Last month, we had an amazing, oh, I'll just say Tracy Russian's going to speak on. She does compassion. I got to throw that in. It wasn't in the notes. But, but anyway, last month, we ta- I had Betty Thompson and Rachel Horrocks speak about ageless. And I thought they were going to talk about, like, the different... Um, generations and what they um, have to offer, and they did. They talked about what you do in your 20s, 30s, 40s, kind of went through that. But they defined ageless as eternity. And I thought, that's right. Why didn't I think of that? Ageless is eternity. It is the synonym for it. It means forever. And that you and I have to remember that we have an eternity ahead of us, and we get to just decide what we're going to do with that. And uh, as my husband gave out the altar call today, and I'll say it again, when you choose Jesus, you have eternity with him, and you get to rule and reign with him and get a new body at the second coming. It's all awesome. You got no, no need for, you know, makeup and, and uh, skin rejuvenating things because you get to live eternally and look good. Okay, <laughs> just in case you're worried. But eternity is in our hands when we choose Jesus, when we choose to serve him, follow him, make him Lord, we have eternity. And we leave behind all the people that we love and want to relate to, and maybe some that we're just meeting for the first time. But we get to leave a legacy with them if we choose about eternity, about the knowledge of Jesus and what he, can, what he does in our lives and how he changes us. So we get to partner. Now, we've gotten to travel a whole bunch and see stuff all over the world. And that is just an amazing thing. But I think part of it is because we're connected relationally with people in these places. God's assigned us to people. God's assigned you to people. How many of you know, whether you have kids or not, that you are assigned to influence people? How many of you realize that? Come on, lots of hands. Men and women, all of us have assignments from God to pass on the, the legacy that God is asking you to pass on. Pastor Iverson and Dick, Dick and Edie, parents to us, they, they had hundreds, maybe thousands of sons and daughters that they passed on their story and their legacy and their inspiration and their how-tos and their little encouragements and their love. And they're all over the world. They're all over, they're in many, many countries. We go to places and people have their books. People remember them. People remember the, the things that they did for them and the things they said to them. They left a legacy of encouragement, of destiny, of promises that God has for these people, for all of us. And I love that. I, want, I love that we get to be part of that. Second thing that Paul talked about is, um, to, is keeping the faith. No, well, finish the race. I reordered Paul's scripture. Forgive me, Paul, but I wanted to reorder that. And we're, I'm going to instead say finish the race, which was the correct order. I'm going to talk about keeping the faith first because I always feel like finish is the end, which is the end. <laughs> but first we keep the faith. We keep on and we are steadfast. Now there's times 
like I mentioned before, that you're not going to feel like it. You're not in a good place. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's right now. You're not doing really well. But we can still hang tough and be in that place of saying, God, but God, help me through. And it's, it can be the pivotal moment. Actually, sometimes your lowest mo- moments are the moments where you're coming right back up out of the, of the low spot to, to have a story, to have a testimony, to have a change in your circumstance. And um, we lived in a little town before we came to the Portland-Vancouver area that was pretty rough for me. I was pregnant with my first child. I actually had miscarried um, 10 months before that. And I, I think many circumstances in, that, in those days um, made me discouraged. I was discouraged with God. I was kind of done. I wasn't, we went to church, but my heart wasn't at church. I was showing up, basically. And I recognized, and I think Bob recognized, that I was not in a good place with the Lord. I was feeling like I was doing the motions, and I was very much about this new baby coming. And I didn't really know what that life was going to look like because I, you know, not had a baby yet. And I actually had zero experience raising kids in my, um, I was joking with somebody at the church, I'd never even changed a diaper and never babysat an infant before. And they were like, what? Like, is that possible? I'm like, yeah, it's possible. I am one of those. And so this poor child is going to suffer in my hands, but she survived. She's, she's actually preaching today at her church, and Julia is a pastor, and she's, she's uh, I think they do six services. That's the sad thing. When you have a building that only holds 120 people, you have to do six services, <laughs> poor thing. But anyway, they're, they're doing church today in L.A. And I'm, but back to what happened there was I had a choice to make. I could stay in the, in the place, the low spot of um, self-pity and um, apathy, really, and not believing God in unbelief. Or I could choose to say, God, I need to take a step out of this pit because it's not doing me any good and find out what better thing you have for me. Now, the better thing ended up being a move to Vancouver, which we didn't know that was going to be where we'd plant a church 20-some years after that date. But we came here with a desire to seek God in a new level. I came with a heart to find out what I'm supposed to do with myself. I needed to get my faith up. I needed to keep the little bit of faith that I had and fan fan that little flame and get it back burning again because it was going down, down. It was like a little pilot light of faith. And God actually met me here in Vancouver. We were renting a little apartment, which is now, I think, a Walmart on Mill Plain. (laughs) Maybe it's still there. It was like a triplex we were there and we had our first child and I was pregnant with my second and Bob was employed I was home and now I had a lot going on and I didn't even figure out how to find time to read the Bible very much but I was in suddenly found myself in a place of spiritual hunger and I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you know in your knower that you're in a bad place And you say, but God, what do I do with this little ember of faith that's left? How do I fix this? And God absolutely will fix it. He will when you reach to him. He'll come and start pouring a little bit of gasoline, a little bit of 
body, ministry, people in the community that reached out to me, friends, people at the church. And I started to feel like I was coming back to the first love, the first faith that I had when I had gotten saved four years earlier. I started feeling again five years earlier. Anyway, number three is finish the race. So all of us get a chance to develop that faith and to pour into it and to see what God will do. But I had this one point in, I think it was grandchild number three, suddenly I realized I got a legacy growing up right around my feet, little people. And I've got legacy when I'm traveling with Bob. And I've got legacy here at City Harvest. Now, why I didn't realize it, I don't know if I was just busy I was just distracted, but all of a sudden, I realized, and I, that's why I'm telling you the story, because I want you to know now. Don't, don't put it off. Whether you have grandkids doesn't matter. Whether you have biological kids or no biological kids, it doesn't matter. All of a sudden, you get a, you get a glimpse that eternity is coming soon, and it's really your crossover to that eternity is the end of your opportunity here. And all of us, all of us just have this little window of time. It's really brief. And when I realized how brief life was getting, maybe it was as my mom was aging, I realized that I get a chance to finish well. And by finishing well, I mean I get a chance to hand off. We did the Hood to Coast race three times. I am not a great runner, but I, I made it through. And I got two girls that are going to run it this year. Are any of you guys running it? Wait. Anybody, <laughs> but anyway, the girls are running. Two of the girls, and you know what? It's a great race because you hand off, and even if you're the slowest runner on the team, right here, uh, you are part of a team, and so they carry you across the finish line. They are all there cheering for you. I actually got to be the last one in the group of twelve, and uh, Hood Coast, if you don't know, runs from the top of Mount Hood all the way to Seaside, Oregon. It's a long race, but you don't do it by yourself. You do it as a team. If I didn't have a team, if I didn't have people and you guys and my family, probably I wouldn't finish well. Maybe, maybe, if, maybe I would finish and drag myself over the finish line, like dying. But I have a team. I, you are my team. The people around you. Say to the person next to you, you're my team. Now, part of that is that they encourage you to pass Oh, they encourage you when I was going slow or I was running in the nighttime leg in the pitch black through uh, some little village between Scapoos and the mountains up there. Anyway, there was a little town up there. And I'm running in the dark. They're the ones that come along in the car and start screaming at you, you can make it! And you're like, who was that? Are they running me over? No, they're encouraging me. And you can't do what we do to, again, going back to the, the fight, the pressure. You can't do it without a team, a team member, a team group, a bunch, of, a bunch of cheerleaders. I have to have that. You have to have that. When we finish well, I'm going to read some scriptures to you that I got this really cool plaque from Sandy Swarner one year. It's, a, it's from 3 John 4, and Bob was reminding me of it, and I got that plaque out. 3 John uh, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Now, 
if my kids are walking in truth, that is the greatest joy. If they're walking according to the scripture and according to what God's called them to do, I have the greatest of joys. And they are, by the way, doing that. And another scripture comes from Joshua 4, 21, 22. Um, it's about stones, rocks, that children were asking their parents, their dads, what is this rock collection for? And they would put the rocks up in, in stones of remembrance for great battles and great miracles that God had done. And so you got to have a rock collection, folks. You got to have a collection of stories that you tell your kids of the miracles of God, of the provision. I have, we have a lot of stories, obviously like going to Hawaii, but we have other stories. Um, and I actually love rock collection. I have a few on my deck. We bring them I don't know how, if this is legal, but I have like one from Hawaii and one from Arches National Park. I don't think that's, but anyway, I take rocks and I put them in my bag and then Bob doesn't know they're in the suitcase and somehow they make it through custom, you know, TSA. But, but a rock that reminds me, it's a purpose, there's a purpose in the rock collection. It, it reminds me of a place I've been, the beauty there, whatever it looks like. It reminds me. And so, so it was in um, Deuteronomy. Um, it, it was to impress on your kids the commandments and the miracles and, and to tell them the stories from Joshua 4.21, to tell them the stories of God's great goodness. Um, when we started the church, it was an absolute miracle that we got in this building for the price that we did. When we um, went to Africa as a family and we had our girls were starting to prophesy, it was like an absolute miracle that we had the money to get to Africa with all of our kids and see God work in another country. When we had, um, when we had a homeless girl that Bob picked up suddenly off the streets of Portland and brought her home and she got touched and saved and read the Bible and she was kind of a hot mess, but we, we had we had to turn her over to to you guys remember that the girls remember the story. We had to we had to get help with Teen Challenge, but but I'm saying that because those are actually remembrances of the power of God in our little family. And you have stories. Some of them are messy and horrible. But when God took you out of them, when you transferred to the other side of the river, when you got to a place of seeing God provide for you, there is your rock of remembrance that you need to hang on to. And maybe like me, you'll put a little pile up on your back deck. I have a pile of rocks. The grandkids want to throw them around. It's like, no, you cannot throw these away. <laughs> these cannot be thrown in the pond. These must stay. They're remembrances. Now, the what? The last part, i got to be this really quick here. What are the four things that I leave for legacy for me? And there might be different for you. And I, I kind of alluded to, obviously, number one, a, a deep and growing love for Jesus, the Father, heart of God, and the Holy Spirit, how he works, how the Holy Spirit works in me daily to provide an answer to my frustration, a, an answer to my question. How does Jesus work in my life? That's, that's the what of my legacy and how it works. Number two is a love for the church. Obviously, we live to serve, but all of its messiness and all of your craziness, <laughs> we love it. We love it because we see God in the midst of it, and that's the legacy I want to pass on to my kids, love for the house of God. My kids have sacrificed a lot to see our to, you know, for us to travel. Bob traveled a lot when they were little, um, and uh, they got to see it in 
in the church. They got to see messiness and hear stories. But they still, with the sacrifices and the mess and all of it, they still have a love for it. Third thing I want to pass on is love for creation. You know I have a zoology degree, which I joke that that really prepared me for ministry because, you know, what does a zoologist do is they, um, they feed and clean up after a bunch of very unique creatures. So that is you. But I love, I love, love creation in all of it. I've got sons and daughters here that are into engineering, design, art, drama, computers, programming, food, all kinds of things. I believe God is, in, his hand is in all of that creativity. All of those creative fields, God is at work in and showing his glory through them where they work and what they create through him. All of that. I love, love God's creation. And I love, of course, my family. That's the fourth thing. How beautiful it is when we dwell together in unity. The psalm says, Psalm 133. How beautiful unity is. And families, people, I know that families here aren't all in unity yet. Because we're in a work in progress. You're a work in progress. And uh, we're a work in progress, our family. We're not always seeing eye to eye about everything. And yet God says how good and amazing it is when we dwell together in unity. How good and amazing. It's like expensive oil flowing down a beard. <laughs> and think about that. Oh, yeah, but it is a beautiful thing. In the scriptures, it was a description of great extravagance and anointing. There was a great anointing, a great anointing when there's unity in family. And just to wrap it here, our... Our dear um, Pastor Iverson and, and Edie Iverson, they, they had a video of their kids and grandkids sharing at their uh, memori the memorial service. And um, one thing that was so beautiful is that all, all the grandkids got to say a little tiny bit on the video. And some of them were thankful. One of the things that really stood out, they were thankful that even in the middle of their stuff, one with... Um, going through addiction and getting sober from alcoholism and all the stuff that they went through, how thankful they were that they received that legacy from their grandpa of being loved unconditionally. The father heart of God, the love that Jesus has for every one of us. They, they, brought, they brought that out and I, I thought, that is it. That's what I want. I want to be known that way, but I want to know, I want them to know that Jesus is that. We can't store up um, our money and our clothes and our houses in heaven, but we can store up the hope of bringing our legacy in with the people that we connect with, the things that we know are truth, the things that we know are going to be eternal. And that is what I want to pray for you. I want to pray over you right now as we close that you would receive if you could stand with me, I want to pray that you would receive a blessing, like a, almost like an Elijah blessing. I, I don't know if you know that story, and I just thought about it in Kings, um, Second Kings. There is uh, Elijah and Elisha, and Elisha asked the younger, I guess the, the junior prophet, "What do you want?" He goes, "I want a double portion of your mantle." And I had a dream oh, probably 10 years ago or more, maybe 15, and it was a dream about Dick Iverson um, 
and he was alive and well and traveling all over. So it wasn't like a, a dream of his dying or after. But the dream was that he came in and he said, I want to give you my mantle and you can handle it. You can receive it and you can do something with it. And I, I, and I put my head on his chest like a daughter would a, a grandpa or a father. And I remember thinking, I don't in my own self believe that I have what it takes to do that, to do what God's calling me to do. But I believe because suddenly God is reminding me that I've received something from another generation. That I have the ability, as Elisha asks for the double, I want to pray that you receive something. And, and mothers and fathers and grandparents, you need to look for people in the, in the church family to mentor people, to pass on your legacy of truth and your stories, your stones, your rocks, your stories of what you've accomplished or what God has accomplished through you. So, Lord, I pray right now, as City Harvest Church and all of its messiness and beautiful messiness, <laughs> we've received so much as a people. We've gotten to touch so many nations, so many lives have been touched, so many people have been lifted, and so many more yet to lift out of darkness. I pray that you would teach us how to pass on our legacy to the next one, maybe one person at a time. You would teach us how to tell people the stories, that we would be compelled, that they would be compelled, all of us, to tell about the goodness of God, to fight that good fight, to keep the faith, and to finish the race. Amen.